Welcome back to the Clemson Podcast. We're 81 days until the kickoff against Wofford. I'm Nick Tully, and did you know, Mark May and Lou Holtz were just announced to be pairing up in this fall's edition of Dancing with the Stars. Boys, we are uh, looking ahead at the podcast today. We're going to take a look at um, some recent headlines coming out of Clemson football camp hosted by Dabo Sweeney in the glorious upstate of South Carolina. We'll also um, touch on a little bit of recruiting headlines this week. Um, But first things first, uh, I wanted to get into the NBA Finals. We are currently sitting at a tied up series. Game five is about to tip just an hour away from now, recording this on Sunday. Um, They're about to tip right across the bay from where we're recording. Um, Guys, any predictions heading into this game? And could you maybe, you know, I don't know, how are you feeling about how the series is going to end up? Tully, I hate to tell you, I feel like the Cavs are going to go down in probably six. It's they were. It's been like a seesaw type affair, but I, I feel like at this point the Warriors are dialing everything in. The Cavs are kind of running out of gas, and I mean they're just so much more talented. And you know, obviously not having Love and Irving hurts a lot. So I'm right there with you pulling for them, but I can't see how they're going to pull this out. Yeah, I, I actually saw LeBron James about two hours ago. Um, and he only looked like he had about 33 in the tank, to tell you the truth. So in that, 33 points? Yeah, yeah. Or percent? Yeah, no, 33, 33 points at about probably 33%, maybe 28. Mm. Um, but, yeah, so uh, I, I think they're, they're too spent. Too much effort has been put out there already, and eventually talent's going to win out. Um, yeah, you guys are certainly entitled to that opinion. I know you've probably probably spent more time watching the run and gun warriors do their thing and, and dominate other teams. I mean, I feel like I'm going to take the other side of this. You know, it's a complete homer take from a Cleveland fan, but the major difference in what we saw in game four is Cleveland shooting. Um, they shot something like 29% of wide open buckets, um, you know, both in the paint. I think if you watch that game, you saw a lot of putbacks not drop, a lot of layups not even drop. You know, they were within four points early part of the third quarter. And if they got any type of support, you know, what ended up happening is the Warriors just didn't respect or fear any of the Cavs shooters. They doubled up on LeBron, you know, and we kind of saw saw what happened there. Um, So anyway, I mean, yeah, if the same thing happens again, if if the Cavs shooters come out cold in any of these next three games, I think it's going to be a blowout for the Warriors. I just I just don't believe that's going to happen. I think you are going to get more out of J.R. Smith from a shooting standpoint, probably James Jones as well. And, um, you know, hopefully Della Vidova doesn't consume too much coffee, which is going to, I don't know, tire him out and lead to cramps and all that other stuff. So, yeah, I think the the thing that you're kind of not, not accounting for as maybe a guy that's a little bit more Cleveland leaning is that the Warriors really haven't hit their stride. I feel like the Cavs have done a great job playing perimeter defense. Like Iman Shumpert and Jer Smith have stepped their game up. Del Vadova, mm-hmm. but they really like they have not looked anything close to what they've been like the Warriors have been throughout the regular season, and they were historically good on both offensive defense. I mean, I just I just look to why why haven't we seen a Steph Curry or Klay Thompson you know flamethrower game yet? And I think it is because the defensive sets and just the way the Cavs are grinding it out and. Until I, till I see otherwise, I think that is going to continue. So I, I think you can only grind it out for so long. Unfortunately, though, I, I mean, I'm happy that they've made it a good series for sure. Because going into the series, I didn't think they had a chance, especially after um, Kyrie Irving went down. Sure. So yeah, I think after Game One, you know, the Vegas odds went crazy in, in Golden State's favor. Um, so. Yeah, we will I mean, see. I think the Cavs at least have one win in them. We will see about a second. Um, I think for their sake, it better be tonight, and then they they have two games to figure out another way to win. But so if they win tonight, if the Cavs win tonight somehow at Golden yeah. State at, at, in Oakland, do they close it out in six? And is that the only way that they can win? Do you see it going mm-hmm. seven and LeBron winning in Golden State? I would in say seven. Yeah, you've touched on a couple of things. I would say for the Cavs to win this series. I believe it does have to happen five and six because coming back here, I think you will start to see minutes add up wear and tear on LeBron, wear and tear on the very thin and limited Cavs bench. Um, but they've proven they can win here. So with, you know, all bets are off, you know, um, yeah, I, 
I definitely think they got to win five and six if they're going to do it. Yeah, absolutely. And here's the thing. If you're the Warriors, I think the Warriors have to win tonight because you don't want to give LeBron, uh, you know, that window, three wins and an opportunity to close out the series. Now, and this is the Cavs probably best opportunity winning tonight because they've had two days off and two days to rest. Yeah. Uh, so, and you know, they win tonight, then they go back home, have a day off and go back to Cleveland. I think that's their opportunity to win the, win the series. But I think if the Warriors win tonight, then then I think it's just going to be too much of a toll taken on the Cavs or depleted yep. roster. They only play about seven guys. So, I mean, I, and then you see a guy like yeah. Mike Miller come on the floor and he's hobbling around. Yeah. I mean, as much as people are talking about, you got to get some production out of Miller and Sean Marion. I would like to see more looks go the way of Timothy Mozgov. I mean, I think he, he's shredded Bogut, Draymond Green when they go small in the paint, continue to feed him. I think that's a, a major advantage for the Cavs as they get deep into that shot clock, try to disrupt the, the Warriors' flow. Bogut may not even be playing much anymore the way mm-hmm. things have been going. So I yeah. expect Iguodala to start again tonight. Yep. And then Bogut to get in foul trouble within the first two minutes of himself being in the game. So. Yeah. Cavs, honestly, they need to hit. The role players need to hit their shots. Probably need to, you know, give LeBron that help so he doesn't get doubled. Um, feed feed Timothy Mozgov. But then I think, you know, if they are going to win, guys like Harrison Barnes and Iguodala can't be knocking down their threes as well. I mean, I think if you start to see that happening, it's going to be tough. Yeah, that's where that depth and the talent comes in that Golden State has. Like right. Cavaliers going seven deep, the Warriors going 10 deep with very quality players, guys like David Lee. And mm-hmm. Andre Iguodala, Harrison Barnes, etc. Yeah. But as a Cavs fan, you know, I want to make those other guys beat us. I do not want to see them allow Curry and Clay to get get their get in their rhythm. Then you just cannot contain this Warrior team. So they've done. I mean, even even Game Four, you know, the Splash Bros had a pretty good game, but it wasn't a vintage Warriors warriors game it was really iguodala that led the way i I think you might see that tonight though i i I think this is where it comes full circle i've i've got the warriors in six right now bandwagon Mm -hmm. cody where are you at i think you do too i think yeah i just (laughs) i I had the warriors in five but that's not possible anymore but i i mean really i'm pulling for cleveland at this point i'm on that lebron bandwagon but the the objective side of me says it's going to be two games back to back right here and they'll close it out in six the warriors so, so Tully, where are you at? Are you still towing the, the home line, hometown line? Absolutely. I, I think no matter what, it's going seven games, um, unless the Cavs do close out in six like my early prediction was. But I'm going to go Cleveland in seven yeah, is my new prediction here. Keep hope alive. That's right. Um, so obviously I feel like, uh, you know, and this has been an entertaining NBA Finals. Hopefully everyone listening here is, is tuning in and finds it to be entertaining. Um, you know, we're, we're kind of immersed in warrior fever here in the Bay, but um, maybe moving on back to, you know, more Clemson oriented topics, guys. Um, there been, an article was put out this week by ESPN's college football uh, writing staff um, talking about the toughest three game stretch on schedules of prominent teams around the country. I took a look at Florida State, Clemson, Notre Dame, a few other teams, and they're billing the three week stretch where we go at Louisville on a Thursday we get a week off, then we host Notre Dame, then we host Georgia Tech as our toughest toughest stretch. Clearly, we play Florida State later on in the season. That may be, that may turn out to be our toughest game. We have a trap game the week before that in, at NC State on Halloween. Um, but I, I would probably agree that from a three-game stretch standpoint, um, that is that is the the biggest um, you know run on our schedule. I, I have to agree with it. I think, and I think it has more to do, not necessarily like looking at the teams, how good are they, Louisville, Notre Dame, Georgia Tech, but just the point in the season where our defense is really going to try to find its identity. A lot of new guys, a lot of new new faces, new starters. So uh, you're going to be breaking those guys in, and I think you're going to see some uh, some some learning curves there. And it, it, at Louisville scares me. Traditionally, that Thursday night on the road. Um, regardless of the disparity in, in talent, usually that, that that home team is heavily favored, and the the point spread Vegas always always it always uh, <clears throat> shows up there. So yeah, to me to me this feels like actually, and this is you know coming up on four years ago, but in the 2011 season we had a couple of cupcakes early on. We played Troy and Wofford, then we went into a rough stretch. People were predicting an 0 and 3 stretch for Clemson, where we we hosted Auburn, beat them 38 24, hosted Florida State. 
we ended up winning that game as well. That was the Sammy Watkins game, if you guys remember that. Oh, yeah. Really had his coming out there. Um, and then we traveled to Virginia Tech, who was basically the class of the ACC at that point. Um, and we, we, we drubbed them 23-3. to um, And that led to, I mean, 2011 was a special season for us um, overall. Um, we had some some stumbles down the down the down the way to Georgia Tech um, and the Wolfpack, but um, anyway, that you know, I equate it to that. I think our, our team found found its sea legs a little bit with that tough stretch and just really yeah. focusing. So I kind of welcome it. That was a very young team, and not and that was if you look at like the turning point in the Dabo Sweeney era, that's kind of where it was when a lot of young guys, and you know, that's what propelled us to that ACC championship. It might, I mean, hopefully, this could be like the next step of that going from. You know, a, a friends top twenty-five team to really push pushing ourselves into top fifteen. Maybe this will take us from top fifteen to you know top ten elite. You know, if we can get past this and look to Florida State and South Carolina, and then hopefully a playoff. Yeah, I mean, for me, neither. I think people will pick out Louisville or Notre Dame there mm-hmm. as probably the likely loss if we were to lose one of the three in that situation. To me, it's Georgia Tech. And the reason being is I know Louisville is going to be our first true test. It's going to be on the road on a Thursday night. But we will have two games uh, under our belt. So the young guys should be at least acclimated uh, to, acclimated to playing football uh, at this point. So you're not starting off with a tough game like Georgia Tech or Georgia or Auburn. So And Louisville has lost just as much, if not more, as we have over the past year. And I'll remind you that we were better than them last year. And we still have Deshaun Watson. So that, that doesn't scare me as much. Uh, then we have Notre Dame, who I will continue to remind you that they're they're constantly overrated year in and year out. They're starting a basically first time starting quarterback. Yeah, and and so in in the valley, in the valley, we have 16 days off uh, between the Louisville game and the Notre Dame game. So that one doesn't scare me that much either. I mean, we get through the Louisville game, you know. Let's say we win that one, and then your guys are battle tested. You have almost over two weeks off coming to Notre Dame. They're coming into the valley from South Bend, and we'll, we'll, we'll you know, welcome them with open arms. We'll show them what it's like to play in Death Valley. The one that scares me is the Georgia Tech game right after that, because Georgia Tech always scares me playing them in Clemson or in Atlanta. It's one week right after the Notre Dame game, and that's going to be a hyped affair. It could be a game day candidate. Um, so Georgia Tech is the one that scares me the most. And it's not because of talent or anything like that. It's just the style of offense that they, they run. Yeah, well, if Notre Dame is, you know, always overrated, Georgia Tech is, you could say they're underrated, and they probably will be this year. They should have a strong team. And, yeah, that, that could be scary. But you're right. Going back to that Louisville game, if they can get out of that on the road on a Thursday night, they will be battle-tested. And that could be – and if they can make a statement there, like nationally make that statement, then we could be looking good. That could be huge momentum, you know, going into those two games and the rest of the season. Well, and then and for Georgia Tech, I will say this, is that they usually – they are underrated a little bit, but they usually come on and gel later in the season. We have them flipped in our schedule this year since we have Florida State, and we have them earlier on. So maybe they don't have that chemistry yet. Right. Um, so, I mean, that that's something that could, you know, be on our side and be a, a good opportunity for us. You know, I don't care really where Florida State falls in our schedule. It's going to be a tough game no matter what. But that Georgia Tech game, that team has shown that they get better as the year progresses. So having right. them earlier mid-year may be to our benefit. I, I also think what helps us going into that game is we will face two offenses the previous two weeks or two games um, that do have either mobile quarterbacks or – you know, Bobby Petrino definitely likes to get his quarterbacks out there and moving. Um, even like a more traditional passer like Teddy Bridgewater definitely hurt teams with his legs. You can expect that as well from Zaire at Notre Dame. So I think that will, you know, get our defense and our linebackers prepared for what's to come with, you know, the, the Paul Johnson triple option. Well, and Wofford is a triple option offense, so I know they're still Wofford, but they've given us a little bit of fits in the past before, uh, putting up some scores. We're going to have no problem scoring against them, but they've been able to put up some points against us. So I think it's good to have that test, and you maybe see some of the defensive starters and backup guys staying a little bit longer than that game than they, they normally would for a first game of the year against a weaker opponent just to get the experience against that triple option because they're going to run it all game long. Yeah, the the only thing I'll say there is our linebackers that'll put them to the test, both the Wofford and the 
in the Georgia Tech game. Everyone seems to think our linebackers are, are ready to go, and that's a strong point. But we did lose Anthony and Stewart, and I mean, we'll see what we we'll see what we have there. The mm-hmm. Defensive linemen too, like that. We'll we'll know coming out of that three game stretch where we're at, and if we really are a playoff team or not. Cool. Cody, let's keep it with you. Um, I'd love to hear any recruiting updates that you've heard about. And maybe if you could also speak to Dabo's football camp, kind of recap what you've heard coming out of that. Yeah, if you look at if you look at TigerNet or Tiger Illustrated, any any media outlet, there's just a ton of headlines that are spewing in. And really, like traditionally in the last few years, we've gotten a couple of like really high profile commits where we move the needle with some like really high end prospects. And I think there's that's kind of happening now, but there's 800, even maybe even more guys at this camp right now, and it, really no no commitments, no. I mean, some offers going out to 2017 guys. That, that would, those guys would be rising juniors if you can really think about how you know how fast time's going by. But um, but yeah, I, my my kind of rule of thumb. I love recruiting, but I don't like to dig down into guys that are like freshmen or sophomore or even juniors. Like that's kind of my tipping point. I like to know. <laughs> senior class rising seniors who, who who's on our list and really there's only two guys that have that stood out to me that i really care about and want to pay attention to one's john simpson out of uh fort dorchester and north charleston offensive lineman i wrote a blog post about it please read it uh <laughs> our offensive line recruiting this year is going to really make or break the next or three or four years it's going to really you know mm-hmm. build that momentum or it, it, it could be another you know kind of a shaky offensive line kind of kind of thing or uh, we had a really good offensive line last year, or a recruiting class. John Simpson would be our second, potentially our second offensive lineman, and we really, we really need those guys coming in. Um, we, we were like had this pool of about seven offensive linemen, probably four star guys, and we thought we felt pretty strong that we could, you know, land about three of them. Well, a lot of those guys have committed elsewhere uh, to Stanford, to Ole Miss, and. Now we're kind of left with, uh, now we're starting to offer guys that are a little bit like below that, like three stars. So it's not looking as good. It's not as promising as it once was. So it's very important that we land John Simpson. So keep keep uh, your eyes out for that name. And then the other guy would be um, DeAndre Overton out of North Carolina, a friend of a uh, current uh, commit of ours, Cornell Powell, who's also from North Carolina. So wide receiver, very talented. He's, he's really big, about 6'4", six, 6'5". Six, he's, he's really a, a converted basketball player, but has all the, you know, the same type of attributes, good footwork, good hands. Really want to get this guy. It's very important that we land this guy. We're going up against Tennessee and a couple of like in-state schools, North Carolina. I think, I don't, I don't know why anyone would go to anywhere other than Clemson right now as, Absolutely. A, as a top wide receiver, but I, I think we're in good standing there, but we, we got it. It's important that we get him because we're probably going to be losing Mike Williams after this year. We want to get that big, uh, you know, that six, five type receiver, that Kelvin Benjamin type guy, kind of guy. I also read that, um, you know, in addition to keeping Rex Ryan's son on the roster, we're going after, or we offered Brent Venable's son. <laughs> nepotism strikes again yeah and we hope that we can bring on quacking tiger from sb nation at some point and he'll he really has it out for like these five heart these uh least five heart legacy, dabos yeah five heart dabos like these guys that are like uh, um, brian dawkins son who's like a five seven cornerback given scholarships to in, in areas where we we probably shouldn't we have like five or seven you know legacy commitments or uh, scholarships when you know those could go to other guys so going back to Venable's son, he's, he's a freshman. He's a rising sophomore. I don't know. I looked at film. He doesn't strike me as a Division, uh, division One prospect. But you never know. He's, he's got his dad. Great great uh, pedigree. Probably a great work, work ethic. So we'll see how he develops into his, his body and, and where, where we go from there. Well, and I think he'll, have the, he'll come with the knowledge and instinct probably that a linebacker needs. I mean, he's going to have that coaching knowledge because of who his dad is. And I think he's definitely going to have the intensity. I mean, I would, I would put Britton Venables out there right now to be our linebacker. I mean, that, that guy, you know, as intense as he is. So I expect it, that to be passed down in the lineage. And so, and again, like you said, he has a lot of time to develop. Apparently the coaches have seen a lot that they like. So this would be less in the mold of like, just, hey, we're, we're giving you this offer because of your dad. But yeah, there is some talent there. It's just as a freshman, you're talking like a 14-year-old kid. It's really hard to determine how good this guy is. And if you look at his film, you know he's, he looks like a 14-year-old kid. Well, I'll put it to you this way. If, if making him an offer and him signing keeps Venables around for another six years, I'll take it. That is my sentiment exactly. Five-star. Yeah, exactly. Well, whatever it takes. <laughs> five-heart, five-star. <laughs> Indeed. Um, all right, what about football camp? 
just in general? Yeah. Or, um, sorry, Dabo's recent camp with kind of, you know, up and coming high school players. Yeah. I mean, again, I mean, it goes back to like, I really focus on those two guys, John Simpson yeah. and, and DeAndre Overton. There's a ton of guys. There's, I guess like, that's my, like, again, that's my, my tipping point. I don't look because otherwise, I mean, you're talking about following 16, 17 year old kids and, and like looking at what they're doing on Twitter there, a lot of them are self-important, like where they're taking their talents to. That's like, that's where I draw the line. But you know, one, one area I will say is uh, like Zarek Cooper, who is our four-star quarterback commit who could be like very much in the mold of Deshaun Watson. He's a guy you might want to, you know, take a look at, watch this film. He is a rising, uh, I believe he's a rising senior, but I mean, he, he's a guy, he's a guy. Now we're starting to look at quarterbacks uh, beyond 2016. So that's something you could keep an eye on. Again, you know, there's a lot of names there until I see offers until things are a little bit more finalized. I, I don't pay a whole lot of, of attention there. Well, one thing I'll touch on uh, kind of aside from the players uh, that are the guys that are in the camp, it's the former players and the current players that are out there helping out. I mean, you hear a lot about them. I mean, you heard something about Albert Huggins, you know, freshman being out there helping out with camp and really getting on some guys saying, don't let them beat you. And then you know, no matter what the outcome, he said, he would say, why'd you let him beat you? So just having a, we always, we hear that he has a smile on his face all the time. So just having a freshman like that out there and being engaged, um, I think it's really good for their growth too. Yeah. So, and it helps bring other kids in. I mean, we have all these great former players um, and, and just to see them out there helping out, like with Simpson, uh, Darrell Berry, also a Fort Dorchester alum has been working with him a lot so that may help sway him to come to Clemson so it's great to have the participation the guys that love Clemson to come back and really pitch in and help out during these camps it's it's I think it's part of the reason why we attract all these high profile recruits great point yeah there, there's culture that's being built there and that's 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 good to see if nothing else and it's all about the culture and that's what we keep hearing that the, the Dabo and the coaching staff is brought to this program guys why don't we stick with the marketability of the Clemson program here um, certainly looking at the pedigree of Clemson as kind of wide receiver you and seeing more of our guys go to the NFL is important in a different vein, but still sticking with kind of marketability of the Clemson brand, Clemson name, et cetera. Um, you know, I think we've kind of had a, an offline debate brewing amongst us and definitely our friends here about, you know, Clemson's approach to uniforms. We've really held with kind of the same uniform design, minor edits over the years, but never any kind of in season, you know, adjustments to that. I think, you know, the big thing for me when I was a freshman was the one game we would go a year where we wore orange on orange. Like that was always a big deal. Um, where do you guys fall on this? Should Clemson go the route of, let's say Oregon or some of these teams that are sponsored by Under Armour where you see like crazy random use of, of different colors and modern designs, or are you guys traditionalists and think let's just, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. You know, that, that, that school of thought. Ben, why don't we go go with you first? Well, quick answer is yes. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. I don't think we need to go uh, the route of Oregon. And but let me tell you why. So I think Dabo has done a really great job at taking the distraction of what color we're going to wear on game day out of the equation. This is something that came up really big during the Tommy Bowden years. We had a lot of different uniform combinations, whether, you know, purple was thrown in there a lot we had the all purple uniforms which now we've just brought back for military appreciation day and i'm totally fine with that you know it's coming um but really saving all orange for really special occasions making it really special but then in between we don't have all these other combinations like the the orange jerseys and the purple pants which to me is absolutely hideous like i'd be glad to never see that again um so that it kind of started basically like that but then naturally evolved from seeing these other teams uh oregon specifically but then you know teams like maryland or you know even notre dame has alternate uh chrome helmets um or these wild uniform combinations and you know personally for me like i'm a designer so some of these uniforms i do find to be kind of sharp like the the white clemson helmet that you've seen floating out there actually does look pretty amazing from a design standpoint um and the chrome helmet yeah it's just kind of flashy but you know what i like looking at images of it i don't want to see it on the field no basically. i don't either because uh clemson the clemson paw and the arch helmet is iconic we have one of the most iconic logos in college football and in branding uh we voted like one of the best uniform colors uh with, with that orange that we have and so i don't see any reason to mess with it, mess with it. i mean dabo uh, has the slogans uh you know 
the great or the best is the standard. And we want to emulate teams like Alabama. Uh, and they have these traditionally you know, strong uniforms that they stick with. They don't have this distraction. They don't need these other distractions. They're focused on playing football. Well, Ben, they are Alabama. And right. Penn State is Penn State. Like, they're, there's a re- they're, they're the top dogs. But teams like Oregon, who... Like, people didn't even know who Oregon was until, you know, uh, Phil Knight from Nike really took that over. There's a reason they're able to draw in big recruits. And I'd love to say that we are Alabama and we have that same type of, you know, tradition. I mean, we do have, you know, the passion there, but not the winning history. So a team like Clemson, if there is something, an advantage that we can get, maybe it's recruiting, maybe it's maybe if it's branding ourselves, then I'm all for these new new uniforms. However, the reason I might be against them a little bit is because you're right. Uh, the Clemson Paul looks great. Our uniforms, like on game day, it's very sharp. So it's definitely if it, if it's not broke, don't fix it. But man, those those, uh, those chrome helmets look really pretty badass. If we were to do it, like if we were to consider alternative, um, are you Ben? Let's just say we go for it. Would you be more of the of the mind? Let's save it for one game a year. Let's maybe choose the South Carolina game or kick off of the season or pick an opponent that we play every year and kind of do it for that game. Well, I, I think first with the all orange uniforms, I think the team has to earn it. I think that's a privilege to wear the all orange, and it's not necessarily every year we play South Carolina. Right. You know, at home we're going to wear all orange because if we're three and eight. Uh, then have the guys really earned it all year? So I think the, the, those should be really motivational uniforms, save for really special occasions. Um, again, like I said, I think the all the all purple for Military Appreciation Day that makes a ton of sense. Purple Heart. Um, so I'm fine with that one. Um, but yeah, I, I think any leeway or flexibility that I would be comfortable with is if it was a symbolic gesture that you knew was happening every single year. Um, but other than that, I don't think you need the distraction of uniforms from week to week. And you go with, you know, your distraction is another person's like motivation, motivation, you think? motivation or being opportunistic. Like, but if you want guys, I mean, but really, but, but you could but, say like distraction was like when the buses came in for the Georgia game or, you know, the Florida state game a couple of years ago, that was great exposure. And we saw recruiting, you know, a spike in recruiting like directly. I think that had a lot to do with that. Well, let's see if Dabo ever lets that happen again after the Florida State game. I mean, there's something that he saw that was wrong with the uniform selections that was going on. There's a reason he put a stop to it. And look how the team has responded under him since then. Yeah. So, and, and one other thing, you said, yeah, Oregon doesn't have the tradition and they needed something. Well, Clemson does have the tradition. We have a national championship. John Heisman coached for our school. We have Frank Howard, uh, Danny Ford. We have... Again, a national championship. We have one of the best interests in college football. The yeah. best. Do you know how many 16, 17-year-old kids know who John Heisman is? They probably couldn't even tell you that he's... They know about a trophy. They know how to they do, know about a trophy. They know how to do the it. pose. You just, so you just say that name. I guess. So I'm, not, I'm not going against the tradition. All I'll say is if, if, there's a, if there's a way to enhance the program, if there's something to be gained, you have to be thinking like that. It's a, it is a business, whether you, know, you want to you know, put your head in the sand. It's a business. And if there's something you can gain, if there's a, a marketing or branding effort. Well, yeah. that's fair. I just think we need to, we need to look at, at this Oregon thing about what it is. This is a Nike marketing vehicle. It sells uniforms and jerseys, and it's... Oregon is basically like the test car, if you will, for all other programs to think about adapting, you know, to that style of Nike jersey, so they can sell these programs, you know, an additional, um, you know, equipment, etc. So, it, I mean, it, I don't necessarily know that it would result in immediate Clemson revenue gains. I mean, I don't think we sell that many jerseys. If we do a different design, I don't really see our fan base going out, rushing to stores and, and loading up on these new jerseys. Um, would it be more potential exposure for our brand? Possibly. I just think Oregon's thing benefits Oregon, benefits Phil Knight and Nike more than anything. I will say this on a lighter note. Have you seen the Clemson gear lately? Like it's like the, by, sponsored by Nike, like the dry fit stuff. Stuff looks great. Like I think in college. I mean like hoodies and yeah, just polos, or like the dry yeah. fit material. It's amazing. Like you, there's some good Clemson gear you can get now, which I didn't think existed back when I was in college. Um, quick podcast update cody's now our fashion consultant yes i'm i'm all about the physiques and all about the fashion so that's my specialty fowler's fashion corner yeah okay you have a recruiting corner excellent okay all right that's a future i can get on board with that okay cool 
Well, um, guys, I think we, we can move on. Um, wanted to bring up just sort of some recaps of um, the baseball season. This past week was the MLB draft. We had four current Clemson Tigers and one Clemson signee drafted. Uh, we could touch on that, including some accolades of some of our players. Um, so, and you know, there's no there's no real news coming out of the coaching search. I think the pecking order um, of potential candidates starting to come into a closer picture. Um, we might have Ben kind of walk us through, you know, where he sees that playing out. Um, but maybe let's start, guys. You know, Jack Leggett let go just just two weeks ago, I think, to the day. Um, you know, he, he basically had a very gracious statement. Um, what, what were your takeaways from that, Ben? Well, I mean, he had his initial statement, then he came out with another statement this past week and, and just all class. Like, he went th- you know down thinking the fans, uh, players who played underneath him, even back to Western Carolina, um, assistant coaches, uh, people like Teradon Phillips and other coaches that he had relationships within the athletic department. And, you know, this, this could have gone, this story could have gone one or two ways because we've heard rumors of how it was kind of a messy breakup, but Jack Leggett hasn't hinted at that at, at all or revealed anything or ha- has had a bad word to say about anybody. So it just really all class reaction from a guy. This must be very hard for him because He's been with Clemson for so long, for you know about 22 years. So, you know, again, best of luck to him in the future, and thank him for everything he's done. Um, do Do you see him landing at another program? I, I think so. I think I he, and he said it himself. The fires in, inside of him. Um, I, I think it's got to be a perfect fit at this point. I, I think he's not going to take just any old job because I think he deserves more than that. Sure. And but he could, you know, go into a, a situation where he's either inheriting a a once powerhouse he can return to glory or you know take on a project and kind of bring a bring a team back from the yeah you know, from the cellar if you will yeah i mean i don't think he's going to go back to western carolina or anything like that or go to maine his alma mater and go coach there but i i think big name programs he maybe he has a year or two off he's still in the 60s i mean he's still you know as far as a coach is concerned he's still got a lot left in the tank so i i definitely expect um teams to come calling when some vacancies open up and th- this wasn't a pretty breakup at all like not not that we hear but I mean, you know well, it's, um, it's, it's all rumors that we i mean a pretty breakup you've seen this before the coach kind of does a victory lap throughout the year he gets um, to keep his like safe face on his end so he can you know look good going into his next job absolutely interview. announce a retirement before the season etc yeah but i think we talked about it like Leggett style, he he does he feels like he does have something left in the tank, yeah. and he wanted to be at Clemson, running this program that he basically has maintained for twenty plus years. So, I, I actually heard a Clemson personality, Leighton Swan, who does the other Clemson podcast, who said his statement was like he Google searched how to, you know, draft up a statement that I'm leaving, and like it was very much a yeah, and that was his boiler, boiler, that was his boilerplate. Yeah, that yeah, was his yeah. initial statement in the heat of the moment, and that's what you do not to come off sounding bitter or anything like that. I mean, he did the generic statement. That's fine. Most people do that, but his follow up statement to that was completely different, and it was completely from the heart, and you could tell, like just from reading the words. So yeah, I mean, give a guy give the guy a break. He gave everything to the school for over twenty years. And yeah, his initial statement right after it happened, maybe it was a little bit generic. Okay, well, he's probably fighting back a ton of emotions. So I'll hey, give him this. He didn't say the wrong thing. That's true. And I That's bet right. if in, in a room left alone with Dan Rad, I, uh, I feel like he would probably be. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it was left all the, out there on the table. Yeah, yeah I'm sure it wasn't <laughs> nice. I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall for that conversation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, let's move, let's move on a bit to talk about some of the players this year. Um, we had a couple of first-team All-Americans, which, I mean, looking at the number of players they hand that accolade out to, I think to get two, especially in a season that we all deem to be you know, kind of an abject disappointment, um, to really have two first-team All-Americans, catcher Chris Oakey and starting pitcher Matthew Crownover. For me, I, you know, again, kudos to Jack Leggett for getting these guys into that position. Um, so that's great to hear for them. Congratulations. Uh, Reed Rollman also received a freshman All-American honor. Um, I believe that that is, um, you know, Je- Clemson generally puts puts guys into that that field, but good to see that happen. Um, and first time ever, you know, in the short history of this award, Matthew Crownover took home the ACC Pitcher of the Year honors. 
Um, so great to, again, you know, guys bringing home the hardware is nice. That continues to, will help the next coach to, you know, maintain recruiting prowess in the program, even in a down year that we can get these guys, you know, to that level speaks volumes about, you know, Clemson baseball. Well, and the good news about this is this, assuming they don't transfer, we have Oki enrollment coming back for next year. So you have a freshman All-American and an All-American coming back. So that's really positive. I think we're going to see a weakness in pitching, you know, outside of our starters, uh, you know, crown over Irwin and Long this year, there was a fall off in our pitching. Uh, so I think that's going to be a major t- challenge next year. And, we can and get, we'll have Schmidt out in all likelihood as well. And he was he was actually drafted in, in, in the 53rd round or something like that by the Red Sox, I believe, this year. So you know what? With all he's going through, congratulations for him to him, you know, battling cancer and getting drafted. Um, so, you know, and we'll get into this at a later point, kind of once the coaching search ends and things, the dust settles and we see what we have going into next year. But with the basis of Oki and Rollman on the offensive defensive side, I think we're in good hands. Yeah, totally. You mentioned like it, it speaks to Jack Leggett that he has these guys, but it also just as much uh, speaks against him because he did have, uh, you know, Crownover and Irwin, who were you know very good talents. Rollman, freshman All American. I mean, he had some pieces to. Yeah, we should be winning every game. Those two are pitching, and <laughs> yeah. certainly the contributions of you know Rollman and Oki should be putting runs across the board well it really it really came down to things like fielding and base running and stuff like that yeah and that unfortunately those are fundamental basics of the game and there's nowhere else to point the finger than to coaching so unfortunately that's what it came down to and we did have a lot of talent on the team we had some pitching injuries so that didn't help in the depth of our pitching staff um but on the offensive side again there's a lot of upside in this team. So I, I think we're still in good shape, and we'll talk about the coaching search here in a second. But there's, there's no reason not to bring in a high-caliber coach. And I think with the guys that we have on the list, they all have a good reputation. So I don't think the transition is going to be that bad. Clemson baseball is one of the best jobs in the country. So i i it's not like clemson basketball when we changed when op left who are we going to bring in is there going to be a drop off this is clemson baseball we're going to bring in a solid coach we should bring in a solid coach and this is up to our athletic director um so we'll see what happens well who do you have ben let's look let's look to it because you said we need to bring in a solid coach bradley lacroix who has kind of been like an heir apparent but kind of in the mode of a Dabo sweeney in terms of being like that young guy but he's you know he's the assistant but it looks like that's not going to be the case. Um, who, who's your guy, or who, who do you have? Well, for me personally, if I had to, to make a list kind of going down of, of who I thought in order, maybe the best candidates, the first three I think we all believe are likely not to be legitimate candidates uh, just because of their ties to Jack Leggett or, and or their current positions uh, with their schools. And those in order are Tim Corbin, uh, Jim Slosnagel and Kevin O'Sullivan. Uh, Corbin with Vanderbilt, he's back in the College World Series again this year after winning it last year. So it's really hard to leave a place like that where you're kind of in control. You're the best of, of the big three sports that they have at that school. So finding yourself in that position, having the ties to Jack Leggett that you did, why would you jump to Clemson? So we really don't think that's a realistic opportunity, although I think that if – you know, D-Rad did not reach out to him. It would be a major error, error in any of these first three guys. Um, Jim Slosnagel, TCU, he's back in the uh, World Series again this year. This is about the fourth, I think, in the past six years that he's been there. He's done amazing things at TCU for an athletic department and, uh, with athletic programs that are really doing well right now. But can we afford them? That's the big thing. Uh, so D-Rad hinted at that there's possibly candidates that are currently in the postseason uh and that this search may draw out past that but again don't think that he's really a legitimate possibility that we should get our hopes up on but again you have to make the call then there's kevin o'sullivan in florida back in postseason play for them again this year and again kind of the same thing with tim corbin you're you're at a great institution you have the ties to jack leggett that you did are you going to make that jump so i don't see that one happening with all three of those i think for us it probably comes down to 
and really more so Corbin and O'Sullivan, the Jack Leggett situation, you know, does he give them the kind of green light to go, go follow in his footsteps? Um, but it, I think it really comes down to money for all three. Like what, what is Dan Rad going to be able to find in our budget? And what is he willing to pay a baseball coach knowing that it's not really a revenue sport? Yes, we have turnout at Doug Kinsmore Stadium. However, you know, are we really going to be able to lure these guys away? Do we have that type of offer? And TCU actually won their first game today against LSU. So it's not just even about, you know, we could pony up, like give Schloss Nagel, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. We could give him a nice offer, but you know what? TCU is going to give him a counter offer. So it's, I mean, that, that price tag could be pretty high. Well, and it's, it remains to be seen what that offer is going to need to be because if one of these guys wins the College World Series, that number goes up. So Tim Corbin, you know, reigning coach basically from last year. So maybe, you know, speaking more realistically then, who, you know, who would you go after next in terms of your short list? Well, on top of the list of the realistic candidates, Monty Lee, College of Charleston, absolutely on top in my opinion. This guy's done great things with the College of Charleston. He's got a great reputation uh, being personal with his players. Players like to play for him. And he's got a good pedigree. You know, he's spent time at uh, South Carolina under Ray Tanner. And I know people like to relate him to, uh, you know, being a Gamecock. Uh, but he went to CFC. He went to College of Charleston. And so, he's the coach so is there Brad now. Scott, right? Yeah, exactly. And that's his alma mater. So, well, D-Rad has ties to South Carolina. I think he was working there at one point. So, I, I worry about that less. You know, he didn't go to school there. He's, he's not holding out uh, for a South Carolina offer, although he would take it if one came across. Yeah, but, I think what that speaks to is just he probably will have the relationships with high school coaches Yeah, across the state. South Carolina is a very rich state when it comes to baseball talent. So, And I think that's definitely something that we need. I mean, we need to need to make those recruiting connections that maybe Jack Leggett lost a little bit throughout the state into Georgia for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I think a, a huge consideration and is that, is that a connection with the high school coaches and Monty Lee does that, does have that. Um, another consideration too is Bradley LaCroix from what I've heard, all indications are he'll probably stay with the program. He's not, he's not a guy with a lot of ego. We like him there. I think he's done a lot for recruiting and having a combination. If it is Monty Lee is that guy that that's cultivated those relationships with these high school coaches, LaCroix as like his sidekick, that could be a very good combination. And that, I would be excited. That would make me excited again about Clemson baseball. Yeah, and then the question becomes then, how long does Bradley stay after that? Because Monty Lee's in the, in the driver's seat, and hopefully he's doing well enough where he's not going to go anywhere anytime soon. But I think at this point, you know, Bradley played for the program, uh, and, you know, he's the guy that we've kind of put in charge to keep things together right now. So, I, one, I hope they give him a raise. Um, but I still don't, you know, again, it's that Davo situation, and I know it worked out fantastic for us with Davo. Does it happen again in, in baseball? Can you make it? I just don't think D-Rad, this being his first major coaching selection, is going to take that chance and hire a guy who's an assistant who has no head coaching experience. Terry Don Phillips was in a completely different situation. Uh, so I just don't see it happening. Yeah, that, that football program back in 08 needed a spark of enthusiasm. They needed, they needed some type of identity again. They needed passion. Dabba was the guy. Um, I think no matter what decision we make, though, it's going to be a good. It's it's going to be it's going to kind of reinvigorate the Clemson fan base, and because I think for so long we've been kind of down on Jack Leggett, and that's at that point you're just like looking for change. Like you want you want to know that we're trying to to search for a new identity and to right the ship. Yeah, um, and then some other names you've been hearing. We'll go over real quick. Um, Kevin McMullen, uh, University of Virginia assistant. You know, Virginia has been a fantastic baseball program over the past uh, couple decades. And and he's been there a while. He's been listed one of the best assistant coaches. So I would, and this is a guy who's not one of the in the top group. But you know, I wouldn't be completely disappointed if because of other other circumstances we ended up hiring him. But I think it's a guy you have to make a phone call to and at least maybe an interview. Um, and then Randy Mazie at West Virginia. We hear there's a lot of uh, a lot of support for him within the Clemson athletic department. I really don't think – I mean, I think this would be a bad decision. I know he's a former uh, pitcher for Clemson, a pitcher and outfielder, um, but I don't think he's done a lot of great things at, at West Virginia. I just don't think his his resume really stacks up. And then 
Um, last guy, uh, John Chef. Yeah, that's how you Pretty say sure. it? Pretty mm-hmm. sure. Okay. S-Z-E-F-C. I believe it's Chef. Yeah, that sounds like Chef to me. Makes sense. Yeah. Anyways, um, Maryland, he's at Maryland right now, and just, I don't want to look any further, dig any further. I just don't. I just don't have good feelings about Maryland. We don't want anything from Maryland. No, <laughs> we don't. We don't fear the turtle. We don't yeah. respect the turtle. They left the ACC, and I, you know, good riddance. I wouldn't even take Gary Williams and his sweaty self to uh, to, to <laughs> no. be the basketball coach. Spoken like a Duke fan. Yeah, that is my Duke side coming out. Let me get Ralph Friedgen to coach the baseball program. Yeah, I mean, just in terms of would be good. In terms of timeline, I I feel like this may come to a head this week. Um, certainly, if there are some candidates that we're pursuing who are still alive in Omaha, you know, good luck to them and good luck to us in tracking them down. If we think, you know, we can actually make those hires, but um, certainly in the next podcast or two, we can update everybody on our takeaway from the new, new coaching hire that we make. Um, guys, I want to, I want to get us back to football. Um, you know, we've, we've heard about kind of what's going on in um, spring camp, spring ball on the Clemson side. I want to talk about the pros guys that play on Sunday. Um, just looking ahead there's not really any news coming out at the moment but you know it's kind of a, a slow period or a lull in the news elsewhere so um with tigers who are in the nfl i wanted to talk about two position groups where we've got really you know high level playmakers in the league wide receiver and then running backs um and in terms of who's going to have the best 2015 i want to get your guys take on this so well, let's start with wide receiver new Hopkins plays for the texans um, I think he's going to be catching passes from either Ryan Mallett or Brian Hoyer, who started last year with the Cleveland Browns. Sammy Watkins, you know, highest drafted Clemson offensive player in recent memory. Um, he'll be catching balls from either Matt Castle or EJ Manuel. Um, Martavis Bryant, Ben Roethlisberger is throwing him balls. Um, and then kind of a dark horse in this field would be Jerron Brown, kind of the second or third string, depending how you look at it, wide receiver in Arizona uh, with Carson Palmer set to to start over there so break it down guys who do you see having the best year this season based on the quarterbacks based on the offenses they play in and the talent level of either of these receivers i think new copkins is gonna have the best year like let's let's look at it if i'm drafting for my fantasy team i pick new copkins first just because i think he's just he's solidified he has like, he can just catch anything and we we saw that from Todd, like Taj Boyd would just throw in his direction he's amazing and he's not even that big he's only like 61 um, so i think i think he's your guy and plus they they've kind of nominated him as like their number one guy there and they're yeah, clearly at, andre johnson's moving on to the colts um, that's a big part of it yeah <laughs> and then the guy that i care most about and i think as Clemson fans we have like a really promising guy who could be a hall of famer i think sammy watkins we all we all saw his talent we all know what he can do it's a matter of can matt castle or ej matt whoever the guy there in buffalo is can get him the ball and if they can make that part and rex ryan's coming in i don't he's not known for his offensive you know coaching so hopefully they can find ways to get him the ball showcase him because he is an unbelievable talent uh martavis bryant last guy and you know i won't won't touch on jerron brown right now but um he's I, I like him. I, I like that he's done, he had a great year last year, but I'm not, you know, I'm not overjoyed with him. I, I don't, I don't see him being anything great. He's got Antonio Brown opposite him. He's got a great quarterback, Hall of Famer throwing to him. But so. we're hearing so many good things about him from guys like Taj Boyd or Darius Hayward Bay, Maryland guy. I know. So how much are we going to take his salt? Yeah. <laughs> good point. So, but we're hearing so many good things about them, about saying he's going to be a pro bowler. He could be one of the best eight ever. And maybe that's overhyped, but it still means he's going to be something. We saw what he did last year. He had over 20 yards of catch. I mean, he was absolutely their deep threat. Cody, you touched on it. You know, opposing defenses are going to focus their secondary playmakers on stopping Antonio Brown. They have a really stout running game. You know, Le'Veon Bell. Le'Veon Bell. So, yeah, there, I think Tavis will get those opportunities. I see him as sort of, and you can pick your poison, is he the Roddy White to, to Antonio Brown's Julio Jones? Uh, he is going to have probably more looks versus, um, or more open opportunities, whereas I think Nuke and Sammy are going to need to create for themselves as the primary option with weaker quarterbacks. So I would say Tavis is probably, if you're betting in Vegas, he's probably in line to have the most prolific season. 
I'm with you on the nuke train. I think, you know, being the man, he's going to step into that role. They've also added some other wide receiver kind of role players around him. Um, and I think that that Houston team is going to take another step forward in the second year with that head coaching staff. Yeah, that I, I think that's good analysis there. I just want to touch on Sammy really quick. I really love, I think when we saw Sammy in college, and this could be another debate in itself, I think he's been the most talented player I've seen at Clemson ever. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, you know, I'm, not, I'm only 27, so I wasn't watching back in the 80s. Sure. But so keep that in mind. And even so, even compared to CJ Spiller, I think his talent was a little bit more developed, and we knew that he was a wide receiver. Talking about Sammy Watkins. I think he's unbelievable. I think I, I just hope he at some point can find a quarterback that can get him the ball, so he can we can really see how good he's going to be and better than um, who's your guy? In New, the New York Giants, the other uh, rookie who is the uh, made those crazy catches. Odell Beckham Jr. Odell Beckham. Beckham. He unbelievable talent. Same draft class as Sammy. I want to see Sammy surpass him, and I think he. I think he can. I think. I hope he does. Yeah, I mean, he's got Eli Manning throwing him passes um, on point, whereas so, last year it was, you know, Kyle Orton and. Um, didn't they have Jeff Tool starting some games? That might have been the year prior, but Buffalo is kind of in a bad way at the at the quarterback position. You know, we'll see. Maybe Matt Castle can can reinvent himself. Yeah, I, I want to see I want to see him uh, becoming the next guy, the next Brian Dawkins at the wide receiver position. Um, why don't we move over to running back? So, um, podcast favorite legend at Clemson, C.J. Spiller, uh, was traded to. The New Orleans Saints. So already a fairly high power signed offense. free agent deal. He signed as mm-hmm. a free agent. Oh, that's right. Um, apologies. So CJ going to a high powered offense in the Saints. Then you have Andre Ellington coming off of some injury, um, going to the Arizona Cardinals. For my money, I feel like you got to go CJ here based on talent, based on the offense he's in. But and they are different style runners. I feel like CJ is probably going to be more of your three down back variety where Andre Ellington going to be more of a passing option, not necessarily all three downs, probably first, second down, try to get some yards there. So, you know, this one's a little easier, if you will, to, to handicap, but you know, expectations for Andre guys, what are you thinking this year? Well, I really kind of think with, with both of them is that injuries have really plagued their careers going back to their Clemson days. I mean, think of how much, you know, C.J. Spiller had chronic turf toe um, that really hampered him and didn't allow him to practice, and he wasn't really conditioned the best. for. You know, he would still break his big runs, but you saw him having to, you know, catch his breath on the sidelines a lot. Now, thank goodness we had Andre Ellington to come in and back him up. So that was kind of an embarrassment of riches at that point. And I remember Ellington's freshman year of seeing him run and thinking it was C.J. Spiller. And so he was kind of, because of C.J. Spiller, a little unheralded. But, you know, he was really a great running back, and he's done great things in the NFL so far. So I think between the two, unfortunately for CJ, I still think Ellington probably has the highest upside. Um, now, maybe that's just because CJ just hasn't been in a good offense with a coach that can really utilize him properly because he's still the best athlete and he's still the most dynamic. Um, so we'll see. It'll be interesting to see what he can do with Drew Brees. But if Carlson Palmer stays healthy in Arizona, I, I kind of – still give the the nudge to to Ellington there yeah he is well he's a couple years younger and I think anybody at Clemson this is no disrespect to Andre Ellington but we know who is the better talent the better player there yeah Andre Ellington was unbelievable but Spiller is generational talent yeah Yeah. it's just that going back to the Buffalo it seems like they're kind of screwing our, uh, our, our, you know, our best players over. He, he was playing behind, the, you know, whether it was like a scheme thing, whether it was offensive line. He never really got to showcase his talents. Injuries played uh, a part in that, but um, yeah, I mean, he's amazing. One other thing for, I guess, CJ's merits this year, um, Max Unger is going to be the starting center. When he played last year for the Seahawks, it was something like a one-and-a-half to two-yard per carry gain for Marshawn Lynch when, he's, when he was playing versus injured. I think adding him to a fairly good New Orleans offensive line already from a running standpoint is going to have a huge impact for CJ. Topi stays healthy, running in a dome. Um, and know. that's what scares me, is, is running on that AstroTurf. Yeah, it's scary. It, that really, it, it does take more of a toll on running backs. So He's 20, I think he's 27 now. That's typically not good. But hopefully he's got three years in the tank where we can like see what we saw 
in Clemson. Well, and, and because of those injuries, he hasn't taken a lot of hits. So, I mean, he's been in the league for a certain amount of time, but kind of uh, the miles that he has as a running back um, is not as much as that 27 years would normally have. Yeah, and you saw that with, with actually Marshawn Lynch. So right. he left Buffalo. I mean, the parallels here are kind of interesting. He left Buffalo, had some injuries, had some kind of off-field problems. Fortunately, CJ is not in that, that camp, but um, was able to reinvent himself in Seattle against a stronger O-line and better scheme. So... Um, and yeah, he, he didn't have kind of the, the mileage, even if he had the age. So, and New Orleans is a little bit more creative with how they run their offense and how they get the ball to their playmakers. Think Darren Sproles. So he doesn't necessarily have to be in that Marshawn Lynch, you know, running up the middle every time. So hopefully it'll save him a little bit in terms of health, but also we can see his talents getting into the open field and making plays, which is what he does best. Absolutely. Um, let's flip it over to the defensive side of the ball. So um, we're hearing some good things coming out of the Atlanta Falcons camp. Um, Brian Cox and um, their one of their lead defensive coaches, uh, last name is Smith. Just seeing Vic's praises. I mean, I you know you can you can be so good you know in camp without pads, but until you really see it in a game. But um, they're definitely you know impressed with his his prowess or skill set going in. Um, on the rushing the quarterback front in like rookie camp and OTAs. So guys, my question is, can Vic win defensive rookie of the year? And when I think about this, you got to look at his competition. So Dante Fowler, Jacksonville took him at the number three pick. He actually injured his ACL. He's out for the year. Um, Leonard Williams, Jets defensive end uh, coming out of USC. I think he was everyone's pick to be the best defensive player coming into this season. I think he will be a formidable kind of competitor to Vic for that defensive rookie of the year spot, but he's also on a stacked defense. You know, he's, he's playing on a defensive line with, you know, pro bowl talent, like first team, all pro talent. So can he stand out enough to really earn that defensive rookie of the year on an already really strong defense? For unfortunately for Vic, I don't think so because I don't, I still don't think they really know what position he's going to play. I mean, they may be just now or starting to figure that out with OTAs and then uh, going into the camp in the summer. But I mean, from everything we've heard uh, about him, he's not going to be the true defensive end that he was at Clemson. He's more of a, a pass rusher. Um, they had questions about him being able to stop the run. So I think he's going to take more of a kind of specialized uh, position, at least starting out in the NFL, and let's see how he grows into that. But I think with the questions surrounding him, and I, I really hate to say this, but a guy like Jadavian Clowney coming in, with the size and ability that he had, I think that's a more clear cut. You can make the argument for it. Although obviously that didn't pound out and, you know, not shedding a tear here, but I, I still think there's some, uh, I still think there's some uh, questions with, uh, with Vic Beasley. I, I, I hate to say this, Ben, but I agree with you. I hate agreeing with you. <laughs> Damn it. Um, no, I, I, for the exact reasons you mentioned, I don't know. He doesn't know his position. Kind of like when he was at Clemson, he didn't know his position. It took him about three years. I think you could see something similar in the NFL for him. I hope that's not the case. I hope we can turn on Sunday football and see him well, just and, rushing the passer and, and changing Atlanta's defense and, altogether. But the, the thing that the Seattle Seahawks and Dan Quinn, Atlanta's head coach, proved is in the NFL, you can have depth and you can have specialists. And they can cycle Vic in where he you know, is in there on passing downs. You know, if, if running is a liability, you know, pick pick their spots basically with Vic now is that enough to get him you know regular enough snaps to make a big enough impact to be rookie of the year or to justify his draft position I don't know you would like to see him develop and be able to play three four downs you know on that line but in Dan Quinn I trust yeah I I agree and, and Leonard Williams by the way defensive end out of USC I've seen him on tape he looks amazing and he is truly like a defensive end there's no doubt he, he I wouldn't be surprised if that's the guy that wins where are you at on his physique it's it, he's huge and he's quick and I'm sorry USC by that you mean the USC Southern California okay yeah. I just want to make that clear yeah so. absolutely um, just to throw it out there for for folks as we watch Vic Beasley I looked up really quickly. What's the what are the sack records for rookie seasons? Um, this is incredible. J- uh, Javon Curse, aka the Freak, pulled down 14 and a half sacks his rookie year in 1999. Um, that bested or Dwight Freeney came as close to that with 13 sacks um, for the Colts in 2002. So 
you know, if he's if he's to get north of 10, 12 sacks, he's got his work cut out for him. But I think it would take that type of effort to, you know, solidify that award. Um, cool. Well, I guess we'll continue to take a look at, you know, how our, our players progress as we get into NFL training camps. Um, clearly, we had a bunch of guys drafted, so we'll be interested to see, you know, how that pans out, where they fit into depth charts in the NFL. Um, at least we know that there's a lot of excitement about NFL football because we're putting some guys into the league. Absolutely. Um, guys, I think uh, that might be all the time we have for today. We wanted to do a quick shout out. We should be getting our iTunes feed up and running. So for those of you who have been kind of bearing with us on SoundCloud downloads, et cetera, we appreciate it. And um, hopefully you can start subscribing via iTunes. Um, we're we're going to continue to build up our activity on social media channels like Facebook and Twitter, as well as update our website, clemsonpodcast.com, with um, a bit of uh, blog post content, etc. Um, and last thing before we wrap, we definitely want to give a shout out to our Travelers Rest listeners. What up, TR? Thank you for your support, TR. We appreciate it. And uh, thank you all very much. We'll catch you next time on the podcast.